Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere And each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Howdy, neighbors. Penelope Flynn and the remainder of the Blurred Assassins next door. We are here on this lovely July 1st, 2023, incarnation of the show. And um, we want to get started. And, of course, the... uh, Topic is game changers, the movies that change the way that we watch film, but even more so today, you will not believe it, but William is back in the house. Yay! <laughs> so it's wonderful to have you back, William. And you have to, I mean, because you weren't here, you also have to understand that we spent a very long time also without um, having James here because he's had to do a whole lot of stuff with his job. So it was, you know, really. You know, rough, rough period. So we're so glad to have both of you all back. You know, and because it's it's really wonderful to hear y'all's voices. But um, right well, now, I guess yeah. Determine Go ahead. The weather, and since you're now here talking, how is it out there on the West Coast? Right now, it's probably in the high 60s. It's very, it's sunny. Uh, not, but there's a little tiny bit of a breeze, but. I'm telling you, the weather is heavenly. It really is. Wow. Wow, man. Welcome back. And we hate you. (laughs) 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 My gosh. That is wonderful. That's insane. All right. I I think Nikki is back in. Hello. Hey. Hey. How's so everybody doing? We are fine. I'm glad you came back in. I saw you went in and went out. Yeah, I'm, I'm about glad to go you out again because my phone's about to go out, unfortunately. Oh, no. Well, you say hi right quick. Just say hello right quick to William. Hi, William. Let me get me hooked up so I can stay on with you all. Okay. 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 I like for 65. My gosh, I haven't seen that since the end of winter. That's fantastic. Yeah, it's been pretty brutal this year. I've been watching the weather around the country, and, you know, I got to feel bad for my friends in Chicago. Wow. I mean, that's, that's wonderful weather. I'm jealous. And um, we have Cranston, your top center. So how's your weather? Well, every day they've been saying that it was going to be in the upper 90s with um, thunderstorms in the afternoon. And that never happened at all. No rain this week at all. But it finally got up to 103 yesterday. But it's back in the upper 90s today. So other than that. Wow. So, I mean, are you all humid 90s or is it dry 90s? It's a dry 90s. It's just kind of like you figure that somebody is sitting up there above the clouds with a magnifying glass. And they're catching the sun and focusing it on us. Wow. Okay. I mean, James House, New York. Right now it's 72 degrees. It was a beautiful yet humid day 
but right now we're gonna we're getting a lot of like haze. I don't know if that's you know still residue from Canada. Yeah. All I do know is that you know just add a little purple to it and we'll be good. Uh, hey. yeah, yeah. You know, I was gonna ask you too, um, from where you are in um Pacific Northwest, are you all getting any of that, William? That um haze from the fire from the uh, wildfires in Canada? No, oh, yeah. no, we're not. We're not getting it right where I am. But oh, but you're right. We did have it, but it never really. You know what? Uh, now that's selective memory. Yes, we did have it. Yes, we did. So I mean, were you all under like advisories and to stay in masks and stuff like that? Oh, nothing like that. It it never got to that extent, but it was, it was palpable. You could see it. You could you could you could kind of smell it a little bit, but yes, we did have it. Wow, that's something, and it's still going on. That's it's incredible that it's still going on. All right, well, oh, well, you know, Sonia, how's your weather? Hot, not as hot as you guys, but it got up into the ninety-five by like ten o'clock this morning. Wow. It's finally getting down to 80. It's wind and the clouds picked up like it was going to storm, like a hurricane came or a tropical storm coming through, and then nothing. That's strange. To the point where we're house sitting for friends and they have birds. The birds were berserk because they thought the storm was coming inside the house. Yikes. And then it stopped. Wow. <laughs> wow. I mean, I don't take any of that for granted because I know here sometimes we've had storms that, you know, you figure the storm is coming, it's going to blow through, and it's just like they don't. Like they sit and just sit on top of you and just stay for an extended period of time. So that's, that's kind of frightening. I just don't yeah, that's awful. Mm -hmm. All right. Well, Nikki, how's South Florida? It's okay. The weather is 81 degrees, but it's cloudy. You can hear the thunder, and we got rain earlier, but now it's just thunder. That's good. I mean, you don't. I mean, you don't need any more rain right now, do you? Mm, nah, not really. Cause it's been raining every. I mean, practically every afternoon we get rain. Yeah, I thought so. So I mean, you don't really need any more right now. So it's good that it's passing you over. Yeah. So. It's pretty good, no complaints. And so Nikki, the uh, Nikki, the thunder I heard in the background, I thought you were in the bathroom. That's good to know. Okay, smart. It's actual weather. I'm just saying. I'm not even gonna say anything. I'm not even gonna. <laughs> 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 All right. Okay. Well, as we're gonna get started, the topic today is the game changers. Those movies that have changed the way that we view film. And one of the things that we started out with, you know, we, we were having a conversation earlier, is that I guess we're talking about um, what's called Psycho. That before the film Psycho, that you could just walk into the movie theater and you know just kind of see the film and whatever you missed, you just stay and watch it as it rolled back around. That there were no real uh, scheduled times for films. So. Despite all the other things, you know, related to Psycho being, you know, you know, a horror masterpiece, that it actually changed the way that we go to the theater. 
now there's you know you know film you know it's scheduled times and and um you come in at that time also the concept of a spoiler you know that don't tell anybody about what's in the film that these came out of you know alfred hitchcock's movie psycho telling the theaters don't tell and tell the audience don't tell anybody about the ending the theater owners that when people come in if they don't come in at the beginning of the film then they cannot be let into the film so you know creating a sense of that you know urgency of getting there in a timely fashion and and make it kind of into an event and those things happen because of that so we're talking about that then thinking all the other films that we come in contact with that have changed the way that we view film and so i know that because i don't know how long you'll be able to stay with this william but with your um in your experience are there any that you could think of that change the way that you know you or we as a you know a group of consumers view film there there have been in my experience movies where they will not let you in after it starts mm-hmm. and um i i can't remember any offhand but i think psycho was the biggest one mm-hmm. you know that was that that was that was the game changer yeah yeah and i think that we, we again you know, we expected because we never knew as we were kids and stuff you know we just go when somebody takes us but i gather people who were our parents etc probably lived that other life which is kind of showing up whenever i feel like it, and then whatever i miss you know i'll just catch it the next time around yeah yeah it was like a double they have like double feature so it was like it was played in a loop. So whatever you miss, you just sit there and wait because they'll they'll come back around. And so to have a scheduled time, it's almost like the theater. And, yeah. and before and before Psycho, you can't. At least I couldn't think of a film that had a spoiler that you know people didn't already know how it was going to end. Yeah. You know, there was no. Yeah. You, I can't think of any any movie like that that had that sort of uh, impact. No, I, I I think the the French film, uh, was it Diabolique? What is that? Um, Diabolique. Diabolique. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I I saw a trailer for it, and in the trailer, they were telling people not to divulge the you know the mm-hmm. ending. Is what that, that? Diabolique is that predate or is it after Psycho? No, I think it, I think it predated Psycho. That's one of my favorite films. Well, it's still, it, it, it was probably still on the loop because the way the way that uh, history reads for Psycho is that Hitchcock financed the film pretty much by himself through his uh, his his television show Alfred Hitchcock Presents, and he used most of the all the staff that was on that show to do to do Psycho, and because he he financed it mostly with his own money that he generated. He could, you know, get Paramount to buy into the movie theaters or push behind the movie theaters to set up a, a time, you know. So, so you know, the, the, the issue is, is that the movie theater, the people, the movie owners, the theater owners didn't want to do it. They wanted things to continue the way they, they were. And uh, once again, according to movie history, um, Hitchcock went about, you know, buying up every copy of Robert Block. Uh, a book and trying to keep a lid on 
so-called spoiler, the ending, and not allowing people in the theater, you know, when the movie started. So, um, absolute game changer. And and having Janet Lee be the lead, you know, at the beginning of the movie, and everyone thinks the movie is about one thing, about Janet Lee stealing, stealing money, and surprise, surprise, it's not about Janet Lee stealing money. And yeah. Then, surprise, surprise, it's not about the guy... It's about the guy in the motel, but not really. Not really. You got to see it to the end. Yeah, that's really good. Yeah, and I, I know one of the other issues we talked about, and I think this is something, and I don't know, way back, it was either William or Cranston that raised the issue of how Jaws was the first summer blockbuster film. Um, and that you know before that you know you had you know big films stuff but nothing like then people expected thereafter during the summer that there would be these blockbuster tentpole films that were being produced you know by studios and you know because that we again we don't watch movies the same you know everybody has an expectation that all right you know everybody's waiting everybody's waiting for for the summer how how do you define a tentpole film well, the tentpole films, those films that the studio puts all their money into, they expect to make so much money that it pays for the rest of the films. Theoretically. Hmm. You know, that's what it's supposed to do. That's what a tentpole film is supposed to do. It basically it holds up the tent for everything else. So let's face it. In fact, it's kind of funny that we talked about a while back, like Black Panther, and people complained about it because it was making too much money. And it was supposed as a tentpole film, you know, they expect that it's supposed to make its money, and then you know the money they make on it, people, you know, the lesser films underneath it, you know, will be able to be, you know, financed. But the problem was that instead of going to the other films, that people just go back and see Black Panther again. And so people complained about that that people instead of going to other films, and eh, go to the movies, I'll just go see Black Panther again instead of going to see any other movie. So too much of a tempo, is that it? I mean, as far as I'm concerned, I think it's a great, the perfect amount of a good thing. So other people may think it's too much of a good thing, but it's it, perfect. It was so the mountain but, everybody wanted, it was the mountain everybody wanted to visit instead of going to some of the other little foothills. Yeah, exactly, exactly. So it supported these crappy films? Yeah, you know, I mean, that, yeah. Or, or for instance, to say that your um, studio is putting out some drama, that normally are not that you know just um, appeal to a smaller demographic. So your okay. make all the money so that these smaller films, you know, don't have to make a whole lot of money in order to survive. The tentpole films, you know, you know, basically pay everyone up. Well, plus, plus they invested so much money in making the multiplex model. Where you have, you know, several several theaters, several movies playing at one time, and they're not the same. So yeah, mm-hmm. um, they they actually built architecture infrastructure to support, you know, that 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 model, that business model. Mm-hmm. And so Jaws was the first tempo film. It's first, yeah, summer blockbuster. Summer blockbuster. And then Will Smith became known as Mr. Fourth of July because his movies would always open Fourth of July weekend and be the tent pole. Cool. In fact, what's coming so what's, out this weekend? Does anybody yeah, know? Indiana out? Jones just came out. Oh, okay, yeah. Yeah, okay. 
Is it less racist? Has anybody seen it? No. I haven't seen it yet. No. Do anybody? Did anybody plan? I didn't know it was out, so I, I didn't know it was out. So you know. Anybody plan on seeing it? I don't know yet. Yeah, I'll go see it. I want to. I like being entertained. You know. Not this weekend, though. Yeah. Oh no, no, not this weekend. Yeah. Why not? Why not this weekend? I don't want to deal with people. It's like, you know, it's the holiday weekend. A lot of people probably going to see it. Isn't it? Yeah, and and nah, essentially human beings are not my species. So I I really don't want to (laughs) mix. I just think that, you know, you have a lot of people is one thing, but then having an overabundance of people is something else. Is this the last film of the series? Yes. It's this. They even wrote in lines to tell, give you the, no, we're not passing on the torch to anyone. That's uh, much of a spoiler I did find out. Well, let me ask you, is Karen Allen in the movie? I can't tell you that. Oh, come on. I mean, she was great in the first movie, and then she was gone. That, would co- that might be considered a spoiler if I tell you that. I don't care about that. <laughs> you know or not. Yes, if you go online, there's lots of reviews already that tell you stuff. Oh, cool. She was great. She was great in that movie. I love the way she talked to those Nazis right there. I'm going to tell you something. I'm going to tell you, in that film, that Karen Allen, it made very, very, very uncomfortable. What made you uncomfortable? Because when she was talking to Indiana Jones, she was complaining, you know, about this relationship they had, blah, 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 and basically exclaiming, but I was a child, you know? How, how old is he? They're like the same age almost, right? Nope. I have he, he was 24, she was 16, something like that. Yeah. Oh, that's, well, that's ridiculous. Man. That's creepy. Yeah, I didn't know that. Yeah, that made me very uncomfortable. That makes sense. She was, too. yeah, he was her father's grad student. Yeah, that means very awesome. Oh, Indiana Jones, child molester. Yep, there you go. Write that film. Damn. Well, you know, um, I have something. It wasn't a film, but it was a, a game changer for the movie industry. Uh, two things, Dolby Sounds and THX. Uh, yeah. That's true. Yeah. That's true. The audience is not deaf. Yes. <laughs> Remember that thing they did? Boom! That that thing they would do. The audience is. Oh, at the very beginning, yeah. Yeah, yeah. That is. I mean, that was loud. And I'm imagining. I mean, did they, you know, go to a doctor or whatever and and make the determination that this is how much sound the average human ear can manage? Because they just man, that stuff was like a boom. I mean, I mean, really. Yeah, yeah, but Penelope, I think I think we need to go back all the way to the beginning of film, the game changer that, and mm-hmm. you know, I think that the first game changer is a film that no one reasonably likes, but it was a game changer. It's Birth of a Nation. Mm-hmm. That was a game changer. That was a film, you know, that it, that it's like full length movie that showed people, you know, doing stuff. And it wasn't one of these like Thomas Edison movies, these shorts or something. It was a, a script, an entire film, directed by someone, edited by someone, 
and it was a horrible pornographic movie, but it was it was a game changer. Technically, it was a game changer. Yeah, it was. It, to me, it was more propaganda. Yes. But yes, it was a, a game changer because he, at that time, around, I guess, 1916, from 1900 to 1960, you had what you call, what they called the redemption movement in America. And that was a whole thing, even in um, academics and everything, where they were trying to rewrite history about the Civil War. Okay, it even got to the point where for a while people weren't calling it the um, Civil War, they was calling it the um, War Between the States. I remember that. And you had a, a professor, ironically his name was Southall Freeman, and he wrote a book that was kind of like the template along with the, the, the person that wrote the book. Uh, of birth of nation which the original name was the leopard spots and oh. then and then you had the daughters of the confederacy they were going all through the south funding and building uh statues of confederate you know supposed right. soldiers and the united states military they they started this thing where they would uh, name it forts after confederate uh -huh generals like Bragg and Hood, you know? So yeah, that was, a, unfortunately it was a game changer that ended badly for for us in the black community. Yeah, that's why I said pornographic. Yeah. It, it was a game changer, but a game changer nonetheless. We have to mention it as a game, game changer, just like we have to mention the jazz singer with Al Jolson as a game changer, because it's the first uh, film that had sound. You know, so it's, you know, Al Jolson, and, you know, I saw that film recently. I didn't know how bad it was. I mean, Al Jolson not only putting on blackface, but also putting on a, a on a wig, like a, like a mini yeah. afro or something. I don't know what that was. Yeah, but to make but, it look like he had, you know, short, cropped, black person's hair. But it was a, it was the first sound, the first talkie, as they say. Yeah. So it's, it's a game changer. Yeah, uh, uh, another game changer you, could consider is King Kong, the original, 1933. In what sense? So, it, it was in the it was a game changer in that stop motion effects weren't really good. <laughs> Not saying that it was you know by our standards today. Um, stop motion effects before that <laughs> weren't that good until. Uh, I think it's Willis O'Brien, I think his name was, um, yeah. until King Kong came along. And it also helped start the career of, of Ray Harryhausen. Mm -hmm. right. And in an in a odd way, it was, I guess, a blockbuster back then. Yeah. I don't know when it came out, but it, 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 it should be considered a blockbuster. What, what time of year did it come out? I don't remember. It, I think it, it came out in 1933. Yeah, but what what month was it? Summer? Winter? Oh, that that I don't know, but I'm pretty sure it probably was. They probably showed it at here in New York at Radio City Music Hall. Mm -hmm. and, and it was Hitler's favorite movie. Yeah. So if he didn't have a favorite movie, maybe he wouldn't have become a Nazi. <laughs> Possible. 
I don't know. But but anyway, that that was a game changer because nobody saw anything like that before. Yeah. You know? It's amazing when you think about the fact that when we our entertainment, you know, we think of it just as it is right now, or you know, maybe something happens, you know, right now that we think, okay, well that that changes things, but the continuum, you know, of change that we deal with within the industry and how, you know, mm -hmm. five years from now, it'll probably be, you know, different than what it is now. You you you, you also have to put blade on the list too. Well, wait a minute, wait a minute. Mm -hmm. I think we're jumping, we're jumping uh, uh, decades yet because we still got the 40s and 50s. And I would say that a movie that probably everybody's seen called The Best Years of Our Lives. And it's about, it's about, it's about a post-war, World War II America and showing the consequences of war in a real way. They had uh, a soldier who actually was in the war and he he was an amputee and it showed what he, what he needed to do to get ready for bed and it, i think it's one of the one of the most moving scenes i've ever i've ever seen and it shows that you know war is not all um audi audi murphy and Wars and all that stuff and being people being brave so it was a lot of you know it showed it showed realism what? Real consequences of war. So that okay. was, I think that was a game changer. I'll get yeah. back. I'm just going to step outside. Sorry about yeah, that. I think, I, don't know. I think that that is an amazing thing. I remember seeing that, you know, that we, you know, I guess, does that start that tradition then of realism that we see as we move way, way forward, you know, as we get to like the, um, the 70s and stuff, you know, making stories that are, you know, more gritty and more realistic. And maybe that's one of the forefathers, forebearers of that. Yeah, because you get to the 60s, you get the, don't you get Easy Rider coming in? Yeah. Yeah, things, yeah, things that are, are less uh, polished and trying to lean to more and more realism. And you know, but I think that that is a true, real thing. That this is a person, and you know, they are an amputee, and you know, it's not just something they put on. You know, they, they put on their jacket, their shirt, and you don't have to deal with it. You said, no, this is what life is like for this person. Yeah, you feel like you, and, and you feel like looking away. You know, almost feel as if you should look away. Yeah, but, but you know, this this guy lost his arm. And he doesn't have an arm and he has a prosthetic and it shows all underneath every part of how the prosthetic works with mm -hmm. him, what he has to do simply to put a shirt yeah. on and go to put his pajamas on and go to bed. I thought, you know, that, that was a game changer for me. Mm -hmm. Did anybody else jump on in, you know, with your game changers? Okay, there were two movies fairly recently where uh, you did one. One they did it voluntarily, and the other one um, that uh, that they kind of said, "But well, don't tell anybody what happens." But uh, one that uh, you didn't know what was going to happen is uh, <clears throat> the usual suspects, mm -hmm. and the other one is something that people voluntarily censored themselves and didn't tell anybody about what happens midway through the movie and that's the crying game hmm. oh yeah no, i know 
but obviously the usual suspects, the thing that is interesting about that, and I don't know if anyone else has employed you know, the device ever again, is that even the actors did not know who Kaiser Sose was. Yeah. So not only did the audience not know, the actors in the roles did not know which of them was actually Kaiser Sose. Yeah, you think that affected their performance? I think, uh, I don't think it does. I guess in a way it may have, because if each person had done a script in such a way that they believed that they were Kaiser Sose, and then they find out, no, that they were not, you know, in the final analysis, maybe their uh, performance would have been different if they knew from the beginning that they were not, instead of playing it as if they possibly were so i don't know maybe yeah but that that was that that was pretty much that whole movie was up to the director you know what i mean yeah i don't think i don't think the actors had that much to do with pacing Uh -uh. and everything else i think that was really i can't remember who the director was brian singer Yeah, and they must have to keep tight reins on everybody to make sure that nobody, I guess that's why you tell everybody that they are, because then nobody can give it away. I don't do know. Just really do that? Do actors really do that? I mean, we're, we're jumping over, you know, different areas in our game films. But do actors really do that? For instance, if you had the sixth sense, right? Do, do people actually give stuff away? I don't know. I mean, but I'm going to tell you, the sixth sense is actually again, on my list. That is on my list of um, game changers in that, you know, we watch movies and we consider ourselves to be sophisticated viewers. And sixth sense is one of those films where at the end, they're like, got me. And so as a result of the sixth sense, when I'm watching movies that are thrillers or uh, suspense films, then I do find myself, you know, kind of breaking my head because I'm like, ah, you will fool me again. So I think that the sixth sense changes the way that we view films like that, the sense and thrillers. We're always waiting to make sure that we're not being fooled. So yeah. I, I'm gonna say, and to address Otto's question, I don't whether or not it's deliberate and planned, you see all the time when Marvel's censoring their actors. Oh, I can't tell you that. I can't tell you that. And then you get somebody mm-hmm. like um Tom Holland. Tom Holland and Ruffalo just spewing stuff out, yeah, and you don't Tom know Holland. whether or not, and you don't know whether or not they Marvel went, yeah, go ahead and pretend that you accidentally told this, or what? But Tom Holland said that they don't give him the script, not yeah, anymore. Well, yeah, they, they, the they give only his portion of the script. Yeah, yeah, but Ruffalo used to be the start of it. When you know he's because he blurted out accidentally that Hulk wasn't going to be in um, the first half of the blockbusters of Rarity Avengers, and and everybody was like, "What? What? What?" And he goes, "No, I didn't say anything. I didn't say anything." And sure enough, we had premature Hulkitis for most of the film. I hate when that happens. <laughs> but I want to go back to what James was talking about with Blade, and and because before Blade and uh, Christopher Reeve's Superman, 
all the superhero films used to be TV schlock. You know, they would consider, oh, it's just TV type stuff and whatever. Funny, funny, funny. And I think those two movies changed the way people perceived a superhero film. Yeah. I think, well, well I think film, film noir really did not reach its maturity and and then stagnate in the exact same way that it is for all the movies until um, Blade Runner. Mm-hmm. You know, yeah, every... And, uh, nobody... Mm-hmm. Go yeah, ahead. And I, also, uh, uh, I also think another game changer, um, Otto will probably hate me for saying this, but another game changer was 2001. Yeah, it's true. Why is that? Why is that a game changer? Because it, it was a more mature science fiction movie. Mm-hmm. And remember, you know? there was no dialogue for the first twenty twenty five minutes. Yeah, that was unheard of. Well, you yeah. Well, you have a bit. You have a bitten planet though. Before that, wasn't that a science fiction movie where the studio went all in as far as you know? financing it and making it look popular. Yeah, but I, but I think Forbidden Planet, in my mind, was rather puerile. Um, 2001 was an adult film. Forbidden Planet was re- adapted Shakespeare. Yeah, I know, but it's still a science fiction movie. Yeah, but it's puerile, you know, they said that guys, you know, and it were, you know, you know kind of keep the best in their activities, you know, I don't know. It was Star Trek 1.0. It was an analog version of Star Trek. And it was uh, what Kubrick had wanted to do, and it's the same thing he wanted to do with uh, The Shining. He wanted to do an intellectual horror movie with The Shining, and he wanted a uh, science fiction movie that didn't look like all the other ones. He wanted Mm -hmm. no pretty guns, no um, things like that, and scientifically accurate. So nothing in space makes a sound. Uh, Mm -hmm. When space, uh, everything was... um, was uh and the best thing and and the, and the thing that was the biggest game-changing thing about it was in order to make the uh spaceship look more realistic that's when they began to cannibalize parts for a model kits so you had the details when you had them uh when you showed them up close they also started and, and salt, salt and pepper shakers yeah uh, also, they had the, that was the beginning of the camera technique that they would later make big use of in Star Trek, where you didn't have the model moving, but you had the camera moving to give the, uh, the uh, indication. Yeah, that was where they they invented, and I put the, the air quotes around invented, the um, mechanical and motorized mount for the camera. So the camera kept following the same track, you know, instead of just refilming. Yeah, and, and you know what I mean. With, even mm-hmm. with uh, uh, product placement, I think one of the spaceships was uh, Pan Am. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, and see, right there was a game changer because that's kind of you know that's telling the audience that yeah in the future you know we can get out there and people got to be commercialized and yeah and there will be things that are familiar we we didn't it wasn't incumbent upon us to make everything uh uh, again air quotes futuristically unique 
Yeah. And yes, like as you said, as you implied, it's like you, it's just um, a continuum that we just, it's what the next step, what's the next step? You know, it's not our um, jetpacks or things like that. You know, it just looks like, you know, just a, a, a updated form of things that we're used to. You know, like the, for the film of Gattaca, that they go up into space, yeah. they're not in space, so they're just wearing their normal business suits. You know, it's, it's a different way of getting into the future. So 2001 is a game changer for sci-fi? For, for everything. For a lot yeah, of, yeah, that. a lot of different things. Yeah. Yeah, because again, it's one of those things that makes, that has moved things that people always presume to be, you know, greasy kid stuff into an adult arena. You know, well, just, let me that, ask you this though. Let me ask you this. Prior to 2001, there were other sci-fi movies like Invasion of the Body Snatchers or The Thing from Another Planet. Um, but are those things you know. truly, are those things truly sci-fi? Are they sci-fi horror? Which is, you know, I think is a, a different, you know, I guess it's, well, for, it's a one, dumb level. Yeah, I guess it's level, not necessarily well, 2000, 2001, to me, separated the sci-fi aspects of filmmaking from science fiction. You know, the, the, the sci-fi effects and, and uh, uh, features were incidental to the plot. You know, the plot didn't revolve around, oh, spaceships, oh, ray guns, oh, you know, wardrobe, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I think so what that- was the true point of, uh, of, the, of the movie, like you know, being turned on by a machine or what was, what was the true story plot? Well, that was the other thing was it wanted to have something that had to have the ending. The general ending is shows you the uh, how we became evolved, and the big thing was, of course, the uh, the one of the cuts they always talk about is the uh, the one shot where they have the uh, proto humans uh, running around, and one of them throws the bone up in the air, and the camera tracks it. And then all of a sudden, it switches to an orbital bomb going through, which is to say that all human achievement was like an eye blink to the people that brought the monolith. You know, as far as they were concerned, one second we were beating each other on the head, where the next section we we're in space. And the uh, ending, and also it ended the same way it began. There was no dialogue, unless you count grunts and hoops in the first 35 minutes. And there was absolutely no dialogue last 35 minutes when Bowman gets to the uh, wherever it was the Stargate took him. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but I think that yeah, I agree that to some extent that that is a game changer and we try to slide into like the, the what I think is tangential to it is Superman because again, you know, it is, you know, superhero film and we've mentioned also Blade, but I think Superman was the first film for superhero film that even though of course there's a silly parts etc but it takes the superhero uh genre as a serious thing and you know that he is you know this guy 
215 pounds, you know, six foot tall. They put money into it. Looks like I mean, to me. Show. Yeah, yeah they put money into it. And you got Gene Hackman from mm-hmm. um, um, yeah, The French did. Connection. You got yeah. Marlon Brando. Yeah. You got Mario Puzo. Yeah. I mean, they took it seriously in making this film. And, that you know, that there was a title, You Will Believe a Man Can Fly. And when you see it now, you come out and feel like, wow, that was a thing. That was an event. I mean, I remember seeing it, you know, when I was a kid. And I thought it was fantastic. Well, those special and, effects and, were, were, were remarkable to us. Yeah. You know, yeah, that it was. they put, they put, they put money into that, that had not been, see, prior to that, science fiction wasn't something you spent a whole lot of money on. You know what I mean? The, the phony ray guns, phony spaceships, mm-hmm. phony spacesuits, uh, uh, big glass helmets and stuff like that. Yeah. This was very different. I think I of, the camera work, think about, you know, I thought yeah. also was very... very think good. about the other Superman, the previous Superman te- television shows, even the cartoon. It's like the way that he changed into the Superman costume and the way that he, like you said, Penelope, you believe a guy, a man can fly and all that. It was it was off the off the charts. Yeah. I mean, yeah, it, 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 it delivered on what it promised. And then the yeah. entire superhero uh, live action uh, genre was born from that, you know. And you know, and DC of course started out, and they relied heavily on the Superman franchise. Then you know, jumped into Batman, which was another level, you know, of a very Superman was like you know, bring your kids to see Superman, Batman was much more of an adult film. And you know, but don't you think that was more cerebral. Don't you think mm-hmm. don't you think that, that DC messed it up? I mean you you have Marvel you, you know uh, uh, people talk about Blade and and but you have you you had the DC had the first crack at things and instead of creating a universe they just did Superman one, Superman two, they let the bean takers just run the show as opposed to someone who well, really not only, understood the not, genre. Not only that, but the uh, DC let their comic book people uh, 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 helm the production. You know really? what I mean? They, they yeah. Hey guys, I hate to do this, but I gotta get. Go- Oh, I gotta get we, going. Oh, We're so glad right, to have you hear your voice, William, and hope you'll be back. I'll try. I, I will try to get back as often as I possibly can, guys. And and let me tell you, it it does my heart good. It really does to to be back to talk to you guys and listen to you again. Yeah, same here. Yeah, yeah. It's glad it's glad to hear your voice, man. Yeah, it really is. Thank you very much, guys. Thank you very much. Start again. All right, William. All right, we'll talk soon. Good night. Good night. Good night. All right. Well, that was a nice thing. I'm not gonna cry again. I'm not gonna. Please don't, because I think I got something in my eye. Uh-huh. It's, the, oh, yeah. it's the Canadian smoke. Oh, it's the Canadian Mr. smoke. Yeah. Mr. Softy, that's what it is. But uh, ice cream, man. This, 
two things that had happened um, is that Marvel became a success by accident because at the time that DC was just kind of foundering and they did make the mistake of uh, putting all of their eggs in uh, two baskets and almost killed off both franchises. The Marvel was selling off all of their properties to yeah. yeah, Marvel was doing it mainly just to survive. Yeah, so, so it happened that they had so many because Sony had one group of people, 20th Century Fox had the X-Men and so on and so forth. And Universal so, had the Hulk. Yeah, so they had so many different people doing it. They had a constant group of people, whereas everything that DC was doing was just Warner Brothers. Mm-hmm. So uh, and they, it's so dumb, but it's so dumb. I mean, you you know, you talk about game changing movies. Iron Man to me is a game changing movie because it seems like it's the beginning of the Marvel universe, right? Yeah. And the, and, D, and DC had an open space to create create it itself, create its own universe. It's starting to do that now, putting its universe together. But yeah, but how many Superman? Yeah. And, yeah, then you had Superman one and two, and then Superman three. For some reason, Richard Pryor is in it, and then you have you know Batman, which is good, and the second Batman that's good, and then you get a totally new director, and he wants the super the Batman franchise to look like the '60s um, television show. They just botched it, and then yeah. didn't they just botch it? Because cohesive plan, and the irony is that DC TV got their act together and we're doing all the beautiful universe building and things like this and their animated stuff. And then later when fast forward to their CW stuff, they got, they got their act together while, <clears throat> excuse me, the film section was still going, what do we do now? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, you're absolutely right. Well, another thing they did that is one of the behind the scenes things that a lot of people have done since is that uh, when they made the Superman movies, they had the scripts for one and two, and they filmed them back to back, which nobody else was doing that at the time. And so that was a big cost cutting thing because you didn't have to build new sets, you could retain the same actors and this kind of thing. And that's why if you look at the first two movies, have one look and everything, and the second two movies look totally different. You can tell it was less, uh, not as big budgets. It was not as good, uh, uh, not as good um, script writing mm -hmm. and that kind of thing. And uh, that was for good or ill. Something that came from that. So um, yeah, yeah. They didn't even try to build a universe. They were interested. They're more interested in doing sequels. Yeah. Just straight up sequels. Yeah, but they didn't think and, about and, that. And the Marvel Universe. Yeah, the Marvel the Marvel Universe seemed to be more intentional, you know. One they, because, they, you know, yeah, because they had a fan who thought about it. Feige's a big fan and he always wanted to see a big universe or over encompassing universe. He tried to do it when he was an associate producer at on the X Men films. And I think he did, didn't he work on Blade Two? I think as an associate producer, I can't remember. But you know, as an associate producer, you don't have much of a say if you're not an executive producer. So that having one person to guide the the pattern, and I think he got that inspiration from Lucas when Lucas did Star Wars. Lucas knew very much what he wanted from the Star Star Wars universe. 
Right. Lucas, that's a good example. Lucas is building a universe. He wasn't just doing Star Wars 1, 2, 3, 4, just you know, right. stupid sequel after sequel after sequel. Right. He knew where he was going at all times. They had laid it DC out. Does not. Nine DC films. doesn't show that it. DC doesn't doesn't show they had a clue. Um, it had a game changer in, in, in the first Superman, but didn't have a clue. It had a game changer in the first Batman, also didn't have a clue. And then just now, just now, in 2023, started to get their universe together. Well, just now they have the one fan who does know the entire universe, as opposed to just being a Superman fan or a Batman fan. James Gunn happens to be a fan of the entire DC universe. Well, how hard is that to find people like that? I'm saying, you know, it's like, who, it's who, hard only, to, who only reads one magazine? I it's mean, hard to find people you you can trust with the billions of dollars that they're going to spend on the franchises. Or, let me rephrase it, that the bean counters can trust with spending that much money. You and I and all of everybody here on this call technically could qualify, but they're not going to trust us with the money. That's why you have, and that's why you have Richard Pryor in Superman 3. Exactly. Somebody thought Painful. it'd be cool. Painful to watch. Yep, because he can't act, number one. It's really bad. Great stand-up, not a good actor. And you have, what's the name of the director, Penelope, that did the third Batman movie? Schumacher. Schumacher doing, like, a couple of Batman films. And that's why you have that. Also painful to watch. Yeah, well, just all. Too loud. And I thought, and I thought that you know Jim Carrey as the Riddler and Arnold Schwarzenegger as Mr. Freeze. I said, "Oh man, this is going to be good." And then I came, I bought my popcorn, and I sat down, and I said, "Oh man, this is garbage. It's to leave as early as possible." All right, cool it. Oh, <laughs> well, that's one of the reasons why that was one of the reasons why the behind the scenes game changer. You used to be able to ask for your money back if you didn't like a film. And then Hollywood started putting out all of these horrible stuff in the movie theater. People were like, no, no, we're not refunding your money. Oh, they make it up in the popcorn and sell anyway. Yeah. But it's like, you know, but the fact is, is that that was bad. That was so bad. I mean, you know, I used my kids as an excuse to go see those movies, but I really wanted to see them myself. And they were horrible. Mm -hmm. They were. Jim Carrey was insufferable. Arnold Schwarzenegger looked lost, and the jokes fell flat. And then I found out years later, my son told me, "Oh yeah, Dad, you know that's uh, that they were trying. Schumacher was trying to, to replicate the 1960s uh, television show Batman." And I said, "Why didn't somebody tell me that crap? I would have never gone to see it." <laughs> or, or at least you would have known what he was trying to do, and it would not have been so horrible. Yeah. So the movie yeah, lowered your expecting. temperature. Yeah, thank you. I, I, I was expecting a, a continuation of the Bur the Bert Tim Burton Batman. Yeah. Why would I expect something? Why would the audience expect anything different? I have no idea. I, I I cannot understand why they would expect the audience would want to see you know that what they had done. What a mess that was. Yeah, and then the universe fell apart. And like Sonya said, they did a better job on television. 
you know, getting up the universe like with Smallville and mm -hmm. you know the other stuff, you know. And the Batman, the, the Just Batman and Justice League animated. Mm -hmm. The animated series. Yeah, you know, Batman is fantastic. fantastic. Yeah, just fantastic. So you know, the bat, the first Batman, first and second Batman, are game changers because they they spun off uh, Batman the animated series, which is one of the premier animated animated series in television. All time. You, know, you have you have real real actors like Ed Asner and and Ephraim Zimbers Jr. and you know um, just a number of actors. Kevin um, Conroy, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, don't forget Mark Hamill. Absolutely. Mark Hamill, yeah. Mark yeah. Hamill is a joker, game changer. Yeah. That's a game changer. These are people who know their craft and they are, and they bring it, you know, every every day. I mean, what is that, um, what is this, uh, from my greatest but soggy, uh, St. Elsewhere, um, so it's germs, what is it? Um, Ed Begley Jr. Ed Begley Jr., yeah. You know. I forgot that the name of the actor is really good, and he did the voice for Mr. Freeze. I forgot his name. Uh, oh, it my just, gosh. And I can see and his name. Yeah. And his voice is so, is so heartbreakingly on point. Haunting. Really good. They had two. One was, um, and I just lost his name, but um, he was um, Barbara Eden's husband. Um, and Zara, I think Michael and Sarah, yes, Michael and Sarah, yes, yeah, yeah there you go. Fantastic. Yeah, fantastic, fantastic. That was a game changer, yeah. I mean, again, taking the source material seriously, and and that's that's you know an important thing. And I think all these game changers that we talk about. That's one thing they have in common is that they took the their material seriously. And one of the ones I know that is one of your favorites is uh, Otto is the Bride of Frankenstein. You know, oh, yeah. mm -hmm. you know there is an elegance to that. To horror. Yeah, to bring such elegance to horror. You know, this the storytelling is just beautiful. And um, it is. It's a James Whale, James Whale's tour de force. Absolutely. I think I think it made I think it made more money at the box office than the first Frankenstein. Yeah, it's just a great, you know. Yeah, just fantastic. The camera angles, the music. Yeah, the um, film, the the filming. Juxtaposition of of light. It's almost I don't know that movie, Bride of Frankenstein, preceded um, Citizen Kane, I believe, right? I mean, it's artwork. Artwork. You, yeah, the, the the angles and the shadows mm -hmm. and stuff that had to, that had to be borrowed by Citizen Kane, which in a, which by itself is also a game changer. But just the the fact that I don't have to just show a movie and show people talking and then people doing things. I can show it in a different way. I can show it from above. Mm -hmm. I can show it from below. I can show it at a Dutch angle at a slant. Mm -hmm. I can do all these things. That's what Greg Tolan did in um in um citizen kane and orson wells did in citizen kane and it's it just it's a game changer yeah the way that we expect to view film that you know we have you know so it just kind of throws stuff at you and this little puppets on one side and the other side doing something but then people who bring you know the um 
the whole couture, I guess, of, yeah. of film to these stories that, you know, heretofore had not been considered worthy of that attention. Yeah, I mean, Penelope basically, it turned, turned film and movies into art, right. art form. Right. Yeah, and I, because I, I don't I, believe it was before. Uh-huh. Yeah, and I, I think Citizen Kane was a game changer in dialogue in that if you ever, you know, when you watch the movie, you have people sometimes talking at the same time or mm-hmm. yeah. talking over yeah. each other instead yeah. of regular, this person says this and the person responds, you know? Right, right, right. And also, mind me, not Citizen Kane, but with the Magnificent Ambersons, you know, another of Orson Welles' films, I love the fact that they have some scenes, you don't even see the person's face. They're completely in shadow. Yeah. I don't have to see you talking, know that you are talking. You know, I don't have to, uh, you know, it doesn't have to be straight on, you know, for the camera or profile. No, I mean, you're talking, you're sitting where I don't need to have the camera pan over to you to look directly at right. you. You're talking. Because that's not how we exactly. do it in real life, you know? Right. And so I did that, that, you know, um, that. Penelope, uh, what about Midnight Cowboy? Because it, isn't that the first film that received an X rating? Yeah. Uh, mainstream. mainstream. Yeah, it was, it was mainstream. rated X. Yeah. Yeah, it was mainstream film. The rated X. But I want to tell you, I look at it now, having seen you know Midnight Cowboy, a couple of times. That I think that if the subject matter, you know, the fact of him being a prostitute that serviced men and women, if that had not been, if they just had him servicing women, I doubt it would have gotten an X rating. It probably just given it. You think so? I can't. Yeah, cool. I can't. yeah. Well, I was thinking because it was a man doing that is why it got the rating. Well, if it I had think, been a woman doing that, it might not have. But I think it's because, just being service, a male I think it's because he serviced male and female clients. Just being, just yeah. being a male prostitute altogether is an You think it would make it well, Yeah, because back then people, it was always the women getting shamed for whatever, the being the, the fallen woman. Nobody ever talked about, well, what if a man's doing this job? Mm. Or the and or her the woman's customers never got shamed. It was always her going to jail, not her customers. The But you know that but, scene in the in the movie theater when he you know has sex with that guy. You know you don't really see anything. It's the it's the implication of, of what's well, I'm yeah. Seeing. But it, this man he's there and you know been over performing oral sex on him, and then not paying him. That's so. What the heck? You know, he learned the he learned the first rule of prostitution. You should get, get paid your money first. Don't you know that? Because nobody wants to pay you That's after right. they come. That's, That's usually the pay me before I start. Hey, anyway, what about an installment plan? Okay, no, now no. <laughs> That's called marriage. Good. <laughs> 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 But the thing is, is that movies rarely get prostitution, right? You know, it, it, like people say, okay, I'm a prostitute, so let's go to a hotel and have sex. And then they say, okay, I'm done now. You owe me, uh, you know, $200, $100 for the sex that we just had. That never happened. That's not how prostitution works. 
No. Pay me before I start. That's how you get paid. Yeah. Oh, uh, uh, uh like, no, you know, I, like I, the, this, it's what do you call it? The uh, fast food restaurant. Um, what you call it? They're, um, yeah, pay at the window. Yeah, pay at the window, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Pay at the window before like, you. If, it, if they gave you your burgers and fries before you paid at the window, people would drive off. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. No, you pay first, then you get the goods, right? right. But but you know uh, another game changer, I would say even though it wasn't a movie, is widescreen Panavision. Hmm. Oh yeah. Yeah, because you know with uh, you know the letterbox effect, mm-hmm. that's what a lot of directors would prefer. Why? Because it gives you it. You see a lot of, like say for instance Lawrence of Arabia, right? If you watch Lawrence of Arabia, thank you. If you watch if you watch Lawrence of, of Arabia, like on a regular TV screen, you know the regular you know uh-huh. screen, you don't get the full effect. But if you look at it in the letterbox effect, you see the whole desert. And you know the whole desert is out there. You see it and the vastness of it. Uh-huh. Okay, so that's what what Panavision brought to to the movie industry. Panavision, I guess, a uh, cinema scope. Yeah. Damn. We got. Wow. Yeah, that's that's the FDR. Yeah. Um, Panavision cinema scope and all the copies with Cinerama. You know, it it made the film you you could take in more. Yeah, I remember watching uh, Raiders of the Lost Ark in a theater like at the Sony Theater, and um, I forgot what part of Thirty Fourth. I forgot it was, but you know, it's, I, you have to watch the film and you you have to turn your head because you it's it's across a very wide screen. And it's, it's such a great experience to have that like that. The you know? closest we this, get, we got IMAX now. That's why Disney Plus is releasing so many of their things on IMAX resolution now. So that you can see but, more of the story. Cool. Can you see that on your, on a normal, on a, your, your household television? Yeah. Can you see the whole thing? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. You know, and there's, because I, I can't remember which one of the scenes, but when they released the trailer in the regular the standard format the clues that you needed were just outside the regular screen oh. and so when i saw it in the IMAX, wait they shot that but that's the same and, and you realize how much you're missing because you don't have the stuff on the sides wow yeah it's like I remember that line from Mary Tyler Moore when Rhoda said her television was so so small that she was watching late night movie and it was called Tora Tora Tora. <laughs> <laughs> Very good. Yeah, and, and, and right there when I saw, you know, when I saw that movie in the movie theaters, you know, it was, I was like, wow, I was blown away, you know? But then years later, I see it on TV. I'm like, really? 
Yeah. Well, I'll try to express something else. You know, you, you know, James, you talk about sound. Now we have a sound bar and surround sound um, in our in our home on our television. But I remember seeing Raiders of the Lost Ark in a the theater, and the sound when you know the guns, mm-hmm. um, uh, Indiana Jones guns and Nazis guns, they sound like cannons. They were they're like you know like that boom like like uh, the director did in Shane you know Shane's gun sound like a cannon and so did like uh, uh, and, uh, Indiana Jones and the Nazis guns and Raiders of the Lost Ark. You lose that, you lose that at home. Yeah, it, I think regardless of what whatever sound system you have. Yeah, that's like whenever a, a major uh, movie came out of New York, everybody ran to the Ziegfeld because mm-hmm. the, the, the Ziegfeld had that Dolby sound. And I remember seeing Apocalypse Now in the in the Ziegfeld, and it just blew me away. You know, because um, the one part where um Frederick Forrest goes for the mangoes. Mm-hmm. Oh my God! It sounded like you were actually in the jungle with him, and it almost felt like you—you you can feel the tiger's breath on the back of your neck. You know what I'm wow. saying? Yeah. You lose that at home. Yeah. You lose it at home. Well, you lose it even in the multiplex. I remember seeing Star Wars when it first came out in New York City, single screen, all the top effects, and and you felt like you were in the ships with them. You could hear the hum. Mm-hmm. You could hear, feel, you, because the vibrations were so loud, you could feel like you were in the, in the X-Wing fighter and all that. Then I came, moved to Panama City, and my uncle, bless his heart, wanted me to see this really great, exciting movie. It's, you've got to mm-hmm. see it. And we went mm-hmm. and saw Star Wars, and it was in one of those multiplex, and I'm like, this isn't the same experience. Yeah. Now, I can hear the film and the screen right. in the in the one right next door i'm missing my the feel i'm missing mm-hmm. that urgency because mm-hmm. even when you can't to... hear the music you could feel mm-hmm. the music starting to creep in right you think that's enough to get people to come back to the theater no now if they keep the trend now that seems to be developing where they're trying to make the theatrical experience an event it's only going and back to the tent poles. It's going to have to be a tent pole film with a major experience mm-hmm. that you know you have to see it with others, right? To get or it. the other thing they're doing is because the general thing is they said they released like what they did with um, Knives Out that they released it in theaters for like six weeks and then it went online. I went on to uh, Netflix after that. So what they're doing now is you will hear an ads. <laughs> ads they will say only in theaters they're going to force you back to the theaters because you can't wait it out for it to come home mm-hmm. until another year goes by and that's why the academy's changing their rules now to force more people to go into the theaters you can't they've just changed the qualifications i think you have to have before it could be 10 days in either la new york or miami or was it chicago I can't remember which three cities. Now it has to be one of the top 10, and I think it has to be in the theaters for at least 15 days or something like that for Mm. consideration. So there's the game changer now we're going to be facing is how many people are going to be able, how many 
folks are going to be able to, or producers or whatever, going to be able to meet their standifications just because they want to be considered for an Academy Award. Mm -hmm. I don't know. I think uh, Penelope and I went to see um, Into the Spider-Verse or whatever this, mm -hmm. this version of the Spider-Man thing was, and um, I was not impressed. I mean, the only way we, only reason we went is because our daughter said, oh, you got to see this and you got to, you know, we, I want to talk with, I'm going to talk about it with you guys and et cetera, et cetera. And so we hadn't been to the movie theaters. My God, how long? Over a year. Over a year? Yeah, I to be honest, I felt like a, a stranger in a strange land. You know, I'm, go, I'm going to the popcorn thing and I'm saying, you know, like the, the stuff that used to be there, like you get a large popcorn. And then you come back and get it refilled for free and all that stuff like that. That, like, no, all that is gone. No refill. All that is gone, and and the sound is not that great. And then like twenty minutes worth of, uh, of trailers. Mm -hmm. You know, it's like that That's, experience. That like sounds a like a three-hour movie. Mm -hmm. yeah, I was gonna say that sounds like your theater hasn't taken advantage of the fact. A lot of the other theaters took advantage of the fact. Oh, nobody's here. Let me upgrade our system so when they come back. Mm -hmm. We can grab them. Well, part of it was upgraded. I have to admit, the seats. The seats were upgraded. The seats upgraded, and in addition, because I think of COVID, that little space like it is like you're going to the movies and you're like basically having to walk over other people's knees to get from place to place. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Widen the space yeah between the the seats, the rows of seats, so you can just walk down without touching people. Like, so they did the physical stuff, not the theatrical stuff. Yeah, I mean the screens are lovely, but they needed to to work on their sound. Yeah, they need to give me a free thing of popcorn. That's <laughs> after I buy, after I pay like a mortgage for a, a thing of popcorn, I should get them yeah. a free refill. Yeah, I was surprised that they don't do that anymore. But I'm, but I mean, I look at it this way: you know, this is like our neighborhood theater. You know, not we have to drive to it, but you know, we call it the neighborhood. But the tickets are very inexpensive, so that we had to spend some money on the, the concession. You know, to that part of the course. Yeah, that's true. That's true. But still, it's like it's that, that, that movie for forever. You know, and that pays for you know these teenagers to go there yeah. and have their summer jobs, and it's worth it to me. Also true. Also true. So I don't feel too bad, but I was surprised. You know, it's like, yeah, what too. is going to be the game changer to make people go back to the movie theater? Because you know, we saw the movie um, in a, at an odd time because we had a you know day off. But still, I mean, there was nobody in that theater. Yeah, and so, also we went, and also we went at like uh, you know, what's that, eleven o'clock in the morning. So yeah, I know. It's uh, still, I, still, I thought I'd see some crackheads or something. Yeah. Well, I think the thing that might do it is when you get it's going to go to smaller theaters. Probably this would be the end of the multiplex, but you'll go back to smaller theaters where they do things like. Um, they serve meals, like full meals. They serve beer. They have things like that. And they will do um, special things to do that. These are, uh, they said that, and one of the theaters here that said they do that said that uh, they can't compete with multiplexes and it'll make it more of an event than it will be just, mm. you know, wander around and see how many can you see in one day before the price changes. Well, several of our theaters here have that. That they serve, you know, then you have the little thing, you the menu, you order. But, but the, the food, the food is mediocre, though. Huh? I mean, um, no, some of them the are not bad. Of, 
I don't know, some of them are not bad. I think um, uh, Alamo Draft House is good. I can't remember the name of the one that is up um, on, uh, what's the name of the street on uh, Spring Valley? Spring Valley is up there near my near micro center. That one is mm -hmm. good. Um, Irving is also pretty good. Well, to me, and I'm not looking down my nose, you know, believe it, but to me, it's like putting a, a movie screen in the Olive Garden. I, it's not, it's not great, you know, because I want to pay like a high price Olive Garden at that. So it's like I'm paying a whole lot of money for mediocre food to watch a movie. I'm, oh, okay. I think I'd rather have refilled popcorn. Okay, what about what about some movie theaters where you can actually lay down like this on like a cot, like bed like thing, and watch movies? No. No, they have one. It's one in New York. I don't want to lining back, but I don't want to lie down. Why don't you want to lay down? I, I would mind. Sleep. I would not mind laying down, except that I'd be somewhere where nobody can be near me. I don't want anybody like you know around me. I'm trying it's to some stranger. Some stranger. Uh, no. Can, are you mind if I mind if I join you? <laughs> well, the problem is that the movie-going experience should be an experience. You don't want to make it too much like at home because the next thing when you lie down, you're going to hear snoring there. Yep. <laughs> yep. And I'd be right there leading that snore brigade. Okay. Now here's the funny thing. My mom, Lord rest her soul swears that she always saw Roger Rabbit. Those of us who went to the movie with her several times knows that she falls asleep at exactly the same point every time we went to the movie. Wow. Can you imagine what would happen if she was reclining? Oh my God, be the credits, the lights would go down, she'd be asleep. I think you'd sleep with all that noise. I mean, that movie is so loud. I, I, mean, I have no idea. But she swears it was the best movie she ever saw. She never saw oh a gosh. single one of it. Wow. <laughs> but I can imagine if her, she happened to have been in a chair that reclined more than uh, zero, the zero G or, or whatever, she would have been snoring from the minute the lights went down. Oh, my God. Okay. So I, then they have, I, to hold, they have to hold the seats down, I think. So. <laughs> people, are like, people just go to sleep and just like. Just Drool all over. Yeah, somebody comes by and put your hand in. I know. Hold on, hold on. Yeah. Hey, thank yeah. you, thank you, James. Wait, there's one more game changer we haven't mentioned: uh, Indiana Jones and the Temple of Doom that introduced PG-13. Because now, all of a sudden, kids could go to the movies by themselves, and their parents wouldn't have to worry about what they were watching. Really, that was the first PG-13. I found out that Spielberg himself. When they said, oh, we're going to give this an R, he said, well, what about a PG-13-ish? Oh. And he's the one who recommended it. That's a lot of juice there. Yeah, I mean, he had to because the people actually saw that film. They was, before their kids got to it, they said, what is this crap? <laughs> so, but it was, I remember a lot of younger kids being able to be, you could drop well, your kid off that? at the what mall, the second. Which one was? Which the one, one was with that? short that round? Was that was the second one. With... Yeah. What's that? What do you mean short round? 
Doom, isn't that the one with the uh, Asian kid in it? Yeah. yeah. That's awful. His character was short. Oh my god, the most racist. I know. That's yes, awful. it is. But oh my it, god. it changed. I remember before, you wouldn't see kids being just dropped off at the mall and saying, go see the movie. Mm-hmm. Parents would actually have to go with to you with it uh-huh. and, and make sure everything was okay mm-hmm. and put their hands in front of your faces for things they didn't want you to see. Listen, listen, Sonia. PG-13, they could... That's only in Indiana, okay? When I was 12 or 13, I was watching Foxy Brown. You and I I and James were different creatures in New York. (laughs) So I didn't need no kid. I didn't need no adult to show me that. I I saw things I shouldn't have seen in New York. But by standard. I go to the Fulton Street Cinema and see what Isaac Hayes, whatever Isaac Hayes was back in the day. Chuck Turner. Chuck Turner. Chuck Turner, Foxy Brown, Cleopatra Jones, those people were naked. Okay, those were also game changers because we were able to actually see black people be sex objects and, and well, mm-hmm. sexy objects. Oh, yeah. Okay, I objects. love that. Now, I love and, that. And, and tough guys without being that. apologetic. Yeah. I have, right. I, have a, right. I have a question. Uh-huh. Which, which, two, which of these two movies were a game changer because it's a bit of a controversy about it. You had Putney Swope and you had Sweetback's Badass Song. I thought Sweetback's Badass Song. I didn't see the good. first one. I know, no, you haven't seen you haven't seen Putney Swope? Uh-uh. That's garbage to me. So so yeah, Sweetback's Badass Song is way better than Putney Swope. You gotta be kidding. No, not that impossible to be called a it's, it's better, I'm telling you. Oh wow! JJ saying nothing because he know. <laughs> he seen it both. He know that putting himself is garbage. He won't say anything, but it's garbage. No, he doesn't say anything. No, no. I, I mean, I like putting his swope, but I think yeah. really that Sweetback Badass song was the game changer. It was a game changer, and it's better than putting his swope. Number one, and then number two. You know, we got to think of a better word or term to use than black exploitation because I feel like it's it's looking down on. Like Sonia said, you know, we see these black, these powerful black men and women. They look sexy. They look tough. They look like they can handle their business. Why is it that? Why is that detrimental to us to our psyche? Because I think that we had certain people within our community, you know, who saw those things as antithetical to you know the uplifting of the race type of concept, you know, that these are the types of roles and types of people that uh, in Hollywood, uh, not just Hollywood, you know, that, that the, the establishment wanted to see us as. I mean, granted, Shaft was a cop, you know, he was not a um, criminal. But, but private dick. Yeah, private dick, yeah. Just a, 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 and see, uh, uh, another thing y'all got to understand, not only do you have black exploitation, you also had redneck exploitation. Because there was a whole slew of, of movies about rednecks, hillbillies, and, and um, what is what is the thing you do with the still? Bootleggers? Moonshiners? Yeah, moonshiners. Yeah, for a while, you had redneck exploitation. In fact, uh, what's his name? That was a senator, and he was on um, Law and Order. 
Fed Dawson Thompson. Yeah, that's that was his thing back in the early 70s. He made a bunch of redneck exploitation movies. But were they game changers, though? No, they weren't game changers. They weren't, but I'm just saying. Now, speaking of game changers, here's a question I submit to you guys. What movie was a game changer when it came to CGI? Oh, man. Jurassic Park. Matrix. Wow. No, uh, the, uh, Terminator 2. I don't know. There's so many. Well, I, I, I guess you have to go by the dates of those movies then. Yeah. Which was the early... I mean, is, is King Kong CGI? No. So what's the definition of CGI? It would have been considered CGI of its time. Now we consider it anything that's computer-based. Before it was graphic, character graphic interface or manipulation. So maybe it's uh, American Werewolf in London. Let's make up. Remember Rick Baker? Got, Is that uh, not CGI? No, that was more practical. Let's make up. Mm-hmm. Yeah, practical. Let's make up. Let's make up. That's not, Let's make up. That's not CGI. Mm-hmm. Okay. So, I, I don't know. I don't know what it is. It's hard. I mean, computer-generated image. Oh, it has to be when you got images that were down that they could be considered photorealistic. I remember when they did the second thing of the, with the Matrix, or the second one, they had those scenes that were all you know, CGI fight scenes. And that comes to my comes to my. Oh, I hated that. I, I know hated I hate it, it, but it, but it does come yeah. to mind. What's what? What do you think it is, James? I would, I would probably go with um Jurassic Park. Jurassic Park. Yeah. I mean, because when you look, like you said, when you look at the Matrix, mm-hmm. it's slightly kind of cartoonish. Yeah, it was. You know, while. You know Jurassic Park. You know they did a good job with that because they. I, were, I agree, but they had the benefit also of having dinosaurs, and not having the real people. It yeah, would the fly. Giving the fly be considered makeup too? Yeah, makeup too. Yeah, just makeup. Yeah, and prosthetics. Okay. Yeah, but that's. Yeah, I have to say Jurassic Park because I can't. I can't really think of anything else. Yeah, well, Terminator 2 was 91, and Jurassic Park was 93. What was the uh, computer, the, the robots in Terminator, the, are those considered CGI? The, uh, yeah, the, uh, the, uh, T, the, T, uh, the uh, T-1000, the Robert Patrick robot, that was computer generated. The scene where the other guy comes up out of the floor, that was computer generated. Um, and all of that, you know, so, yeah. Yeah, cool. That's, that's pretty impressive. Mm-hmm. Robert Patrick, that was pretty impressive. Yeah. I thought it was very interesting because when they got Robert Patrick to the role, they said, well, it doesn't look like the, you know, Schwarzenegger's, you know, uh, Terminator, but simply small, small guy. Yes, yeah, so we didn't have to. Because mm-hmm. the whole point is that he can look like anybody, you know, anything, you know, he can be small because of what the body does, how it morphs. 
So I thought that was really interesting. Mm -hmm. That's a scary I think that's a game changer. Yeah, yeah, Jurassic Park and I think Terminator game changer. Yeah, that was very interesting. Oh, CGI. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I can think of, uh, as far as uh, movies that are musicals, that are game changers, you know, um, integrating music into movies. Are there any movies that come to mind? Well, I mean, the, what, the first thing that comes to me, of course, is in um, Psycho, how the music, you know, of course, you know, you can't think of the movie Psycho without, you know, the music. Yeah, Bernard Herman, Herman score. Well, well, there you go. I would, I would say that Bernard Herman was a game changer. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Yeah, because you can't think of the film without that, without sound. You know. And people don't know that Bernard Herman also did the score for the Twilight Zone. The original. Well, that's 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 why I say that he was a, a game changer because. <laughs> You know, as a child sitting in front of the TV, watching the Twilight Zone, the, the music alone, you mm -hmm. know, the first season, you know. Right. Just, yeah, and, and the only reason they didn't use it in, in you know, other seasons is because they didn't want to pay him. The cheap bastards didn't want to pay him. Wow. So they came up with some, some uh, the theme that's came, that everyone knows the Twilight Zone by today, they came up. They bought some some music from Europe for like you know a couple thousand dollars. That's the music that everyone associates with the Twilight Zone, because they did not want to pay Bernard Herrmann for the music that he came up with for the Twilight Zone. Yeah, it's very haunting. Yeah, because at the end, I mean, <laughs> it used to creep me out. In fact, it still creeps me out oh, today. Yeah. You know what? Yeah, yeah. 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 Man, I love that. I love yeah. that. Yeah, I love that. Yeah, a lot of it comes down to money, Hollywood, right? So, and, and the, it's not just art; yeah. business. Yeah, uh, yeah, and the music from King Kong. Um, yes, what was the guy's name? Yes, it was the drums and stuff, especially. Oh, yeah, Max Steiner. Yeah, Max Steiner, who also did the music for Treasure of Sierra Madre. Excellent. Just over the top music, and like you know, this crap is getting ready to go down, and I'm musically going to tell you that, you know. So he does it not only in King Kong, he does it in the Treasure of Sierra Madre. It just is so fitting, you know, the music. And then John Williams does a fantastic job in all of his scores. But don't you feel like a lot of his scores sound the same? Yeah, they do have some of the you same know, themes, but you can say the, the same, same thing horns. of Elfman. A lot of the same yeah. themes. Right, right, right. You all sound like The Simpsons. <laughs> <laughs> no, that okay. would be Danny Elfman. Danny Elfman, right. Sounds like The Simpsons. He did the theme for The Simpsons and Batman and Beetlejuice and. Yeah. They all sound the same. Yeah, it, it, to me, his stuff has a little carnival themes. sound to it. Yeah, that's the same themes. Yeah. 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 And and John Williams' sound sounds like... He does have some of the same Wars, themes as well. Star Wars, Superman, Raiders of the Lost Ark. Yeah. Lost in Space. Who did Lost in Space sound? John Williams? 
Yeah. yeah. Oh, I didn't know that. That's that's when he used to call himself Johnny Williams. Oh. Uh, that's good to know. That's new. Yeah. That's the Well, I can tell you one thing. Johnny Williams, Johnny really loves his horn. Yeah. You know, uh, that triumphant horn thing. Yeah. He does that in every theme he does. The Superman fanfare. horn. The, the kind yeah, of the fanfare. Thing. That's it, the fanfare. Oh yeah, you, you see, and see, I love it because as a former baritone player in the drumming bugle corps, it's that sound, that brassy sound. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You know, yeah. I, 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 I it love. Sounds it. like a. It almost sounds like a march, doesn't it? It almost sounds like a march. Well, I mean, uh, the Empire Strikes Back. You know that. Right. That is a march. Right. Like you said, the fanfare, the march, mm-hmm. Superman fanfare march, uh, yeah. Star Wars, Raiders of the Lost Ark. Yeah. Yeah, he was just gonna wrap that thing up, man. He had a monopoly. Yeah. He did. It's like him and Spielberg, right? Him and Spielberg and uh, and uh, Lucas mm-hmm. used the same. Pr- just like uh, Burton used Alphaman for everything. Yeah, yeah, I think it's amazing. But you know, it's, all these things have come together in a way that we expect to hear and see our cinema in a certain way until someone else comes along with another game changer, right? Well, you know, one game changer we didn't mention, Penelope, is that the so-called black exploitation movies made a lot of money for the for the uh, for the studios, and then I guess people started complaining about them corrupting youth. And and then you know during the 80s you saw less of those movies and then you started to see the movies where we weren't in them you know like mm-hmm. a Kramer versus Kramer and you know stuff like that you know, the Mel Street age of uh, Dustin Hoffman you know well that, I mean that, but, that but I think stuff I mean one Oscar yeah, but but I think what the issues is is that when everybody gets used to only seeing you in a certain type of role. And they start making a different type of movie. They act like that's the only thing you can do, simply because it's the only thing that they let you do. So mm-hmm. you know, I mean, I'm, I'm sure that many black people could have done Kramer versus Kramer or anything yeah. else they had out there. But when they all oh, they're pigeonholing you into a certain type of film, and then well, we're not doing that anymore. But it doesn't mean that I can't do some other things. It only means that's the only thing you let me do. You know? But do you think they should have gotten rid of the so-called black exploitation movies? I don't know. I, I, but I do I do think that the thought that that is the only thing that you can do is the problem because there are people who did um, gangster films and they were allowed to do other things, you know, so because there are gangster films out there and people do them, noirish things also. It doesn't mean that they can't do anything else. But what for us that they made it appear that this is the only thing that we could do. And well, we're not doing that anymore. So I guess that means that you don't have a job. Instead of saying, well, well we're do this other thing instead. Well, I heard someone I read somewhere with someone everything, everywhere, all at once was a game changer for the concept of a multiverse. Not really. And that's only if you never knew that multiverses existed already. Yeah. Maybe that's a demographic that watched that type of film that did not watch the other films that we have that have already explored the multiverse. 
That's what's up, man. So, but it was that, the, everything, everything, all of us have seen a game changer. But it no, but it was the first time that someone let an Asian cast take that theme. Yeah. You know, before well, you know, Asian, I mean, well, 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 not really, because many years ago, remember the film, the uh, one, the one he's called with Jet Li, I think it was who's in it, and he is existing in all these different multiverses or these places, and then it's like as you go on, each one of your cells is killed off until the last one becomes the most powerful. But you know was Jet that? Li oh, the yeah. only major Asian? No, I don't think so. Okay. And also, Crazy Rich Asians would have been a Asian-led blah 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 film too. So no, the problem is the people that put these things out really don't know what they're talking about, and because they have fewer typos than other people, you say, yeah, that's it, but it's not not really no. Mm -hmm. So it's 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 not a game changer. Everything it's a game changer in that she won the Oscar for it. Yeah. Well, well, and somebody actually took, her, actually took her actually took her because it's the first it's one of the first modern science fiction films that got an award well, in that well, sense. yeah but for the audience for the mainstream audience who, who are not into marvels yeah movies, they're finally they're, they're, realizing they, they, that there's depth to some of the stuff we watch mm -hmm. or maybe the, the fact that there is an idea called a multiverse maybe they're being introduced to this for the very first time yeah, well, that's that's sort of what happened in uh, Avengers in the in last two Avengers movies, Endgame and uh, whatever the other one was. So, yeah, but they're not watching comic book movies. So they just they just you know these a lot of people that just you know they push away from any movie that has to deal with any comic book characters and they, they think of them as you know anti artful or whatever they they say. Oh, yeah, who was the direct the director that said that you know Marvel movies were like a carnival ride? Or that was Scorsese. You know? Scorsese. Scorsese, yeah, just downplaying the existence of these movies. So that in certain in certain corner of, of uh, the audience, they, they don't take these movies seriously. Mm -hmm. But but the fact that they don't take it seriously and they didn't see it doesn't mean that you know it didn't already exist. You know, so that's mm -hmm. kind of like that's on them. So you can't really call it a game changer. It's a not game changer really. for them, but not a game changer for the whole concept of multiverses. Yeah. Yeah. Because again, like I was looking at it, the Jet Li film is called The One, and that's mm -hmm. 2001. You know, mm -hmm. it, it talks about the like concept of the multiverse. Who produced it? Did it say? Hold on. Let's see. A white man produced it. I don't think so. I think, that, and that's why <laughs> it probably was the type of movie that it was. But, but the other thing that happens is, and this is a, a, a directed by James Wong. It wasn't James produced Wong. by Hollywood. That's not a Hollywood film. Many films from Hollywood films that are still on Hollywood screens. Yeah, but Hollywood has Hollywood has Delroy Lindo. But as a but as an audience, I remember I don't really care. All I care about is the the content and product on the screen. <coughs> you know what I'm saying, but the concept of multiverse is much older, right? It, 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 but I what think it's Matrix. But I think it's Hollywood's finally thing? waking up and realizing that some of these things exist. 
and well, not just exist, but if you think and about it's profitable. It, they exist for different demographics than what they originally thought. Right. That they think, oh, it's just you know the sci-fi crowd or just the young, you know. Yeah, it's, it's everything, everywhere, all at once. Isn't that kind of sci-fi-ish? It is. It is because because of the multiverse, but it really is kind of also about day-to-day stuff that happens to you, you know, in these different you know, and how different universes, even though we may think it's strange, that this is their day-to-day, you know. Mm-hmm. So, you know, I think that's the thing that it's um, making this concept of the multiverse not just about rockets and, and, and sci-fi. It's also about just regular stuff, like the people trying to get to the IRS office to file the taxes for their business, you know? Yeah. And, and that's, you know, where it all kind of comes from. Then all these other things, like even some of the crazier things, you know, the concept of Ratatouille, that this is, in someone's universe, it is a real thing. Right. You know, it's a real thing that happens in someone's life, that they are a chef and there's a, there wasn't a rat, it was something else that helping them cook. But, you know, that it wasn't a movie, it was, that's their reality. And, you know, and so I think it's opened that concept up to many people who otherwise would not have known that it existed or or thought that it could exist in a different form from what they thought. Right. So I thought that was before, a, wait a minute, before so we get off though, Penelope. Yes. You're saying in another reality uh a rat is helping me cook dinner. I would rat is your dinner. The rat is your dinner, man. Oh, that is your dinner. In another life, in our dystopian, <laughs> apocalyptic life, the rat is your dinner. Is your dinner. No, in, 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 in another in life, life, James, hold on. You are the rat's dinner. So yeah. No, in, in, in another life, so you're saying the rat is helping me cook dinner. In my reality, the rat is part of my taco bake. <laughs> oh Lord, have mercy! Note to self: Do not eat his taco. No, taco you gotta be man. demented. This man is demented, y'all. Oh my gosh! Well, hey, before we sign off, you had to come. Yeah, you had to come full circle, huh? With that taco bake, didn't you? What? Before we before we sign off, Penelope, The Matrix, I think, is a game changer. I agree. I think when I saw that movie, I said, "Man, I never seen nothing like this before." Yeah. I mean, the but I'm not sure what it changed. Well, I'm not I was sure what think, it changed. I was think that I believe it changed was prior to them going to CGI, the original Matrix, the actual people, that this is what can be done with the human body, that all that was is practicing and using wires, and that was the human body doing those motions, you know, making this. I thought that that was just brilliant, you know, and uh and, and that's why it looked so natural, strange, I mean, but sure, but a natural to this to it because it was the human body that was doing it. And you know, I think that in, in that sense, you know, it just, you know, also I think brought again, made science fiction seem normalized because we go into this spaceship, the Nebuchadnezzar, and the ship. Is that you know it's not some bright shiny 
scrub down, clean science fiction universe thing. I mean, it's a scowl, you know, but still, you know, it is running technology and it's, uh, you know, high tech as far as we're concerned, but, you know, it's not what we thought it would look like, you know, it's more like, you know, right. again, Johnny Mnemonic type of, you know, thrown together high tech. It's not top, it's not top show. Okay. Yes. Simple. Yeah. And, and what people would have expected of what our future and um, high tech would look like. So I thought that was a good thing too. That just gives a different view of how the world would look, which if I must say, carries on even until just recently, several years back, what was the name? Up, upload? Yeah. Where you have these people, they're living in these houses that look like little shotgun shacks that we have, you know, not too far away from where we live here. And inside these little houses, everything in it is high tech. But then you got the little low tech kitchen, you know, but they're, they're all of their tech is very, very high tech. And I think that may be, you know, the way that things will move, you know, even now, if you think people live in a house that may be ramshackled or whatever, but you walk inside and they got a 55 inch, you know, screen television with all the remote well, you know, that run it. Don't you think that some, some people are going to be left behind? Some cities are left behind. I mean, our son told us that he went to pay something in Philadelphia government office and the only thing they took were checks and money orders. Mm-hmm. I haven't seen a check. I haven't written a check in God knows how long. As far as getting a money order is concerned, I don't even know what those look like or how to get them. <laughs> that's, just, yeah. that's just incredible. You know, all the money, most money, it seems like to me, is electronic. Yeah. Yeah. That's very interesting. But I tell you, I think that. Um, all these things it kind of you know shows us you know as we're looking at these game changers with regard to film we always have to always remember that as we're watching film that these things are part of how it is that we view society and view our world so as these things are changing you know it's kind of like running parallel to the actual changes that are going on in real life not just in our uh, entertainment so you know as we're you know breaking these boundaries and barriers that means different and new jobs, you know, for people that now people think about the future differently or think about technology differently or or um, do uh, our film content, uh, entertainment content differently. And it changes everything, you know, yeah. I mean, what? think about streaming services and um, uh, pay per view that changed everything. And I, I mean, I knew that was coming along what back in the late 80s you know i was taking courses and they were saying this said, is on the horizon which i said mm-hmm. so how stupid i never paying for television who do they think they are yeah yeah so this is coming and you know back in i guess the late 80s uh mid 80s we would not even thought about this thing we didn't even know it existed but that was a possibility but it was already in the works and streaming services, you know, every the way we looked at it, we, we would watch a movie in the theater, and if we didn't watch the theater, we'd eventually wait until it maybe showed up on television. It would show up at the dollar theater, mm-hmm. and then show up at the DVD, and then show up on TV. Now some of them just go straight to TV. Yeah, or they yeah they're just, they're made for that purpose, mm-hmm. and, and now 
we have people want more, as we they use the term, the deep dive into uh, whatever the subject matter is. So prefer instead to having a two-hour film, to have you know a 10, 6, 12, 16 episode series instead on that very same subject, and to live in that life you know for 16 different episodes instead of two hours, and that that is another day that's coming out. So HBO, so HBO is a game changer. Yeah, I remember when HBO started the home box office. When I was, uh, I mean, I remember it began, but I remember we first became aware of it. But that was the whole big thing was HBO. Well, you know, you, you know what who, what the grandfather was to HBO too, right? You had Manhattan um, cable. Huh. Yeah, and so the rest of the city didn't have cable. We didn't have cable because they were fighting over territory. So we had to put a, a, a wire hanger in the back of our TV and try to get Channel 21 for Philadelphia. Yeah, the, the, Manhattan. Yeah, the re- Manhattan cable. yeah, the reason why you they started Manhattan Cable was the fact that, like you said, the reception in Manhattan was bad. A lot of households in Manhattan couldn't get um, broadcast uh, CBS, Channel 2. Yeah. Oh. Who knew? I'm just trying to get the, I'm just trying to get the net game, that's all. That's all I want to see. I'm trying to nine, that's all I want to see. There you go. All right. All right, y'all, I'm looking at my clock, and it looks like we're getting up there. Time to roll out. But um, Crancy, your top center, so tell us, you know, uh, your uh, parting shots with regard to your most, uh, I guess, memorable uh, game changer in, in film. Yeah, well, I think what it is is that you do get those things and you re- realize it's a game changer when you realize how many times other people replicate it after it comes out. You know, mm-hmm. The first time they do it, you said, okay, that was it. But then after that, everybody's doing it. And also that it kind of bleeds off into uh, the influence it has on other uh, other projects, mm-hmm. right? And James, how about you? Which which one or sets do you consider, you know, the ultimate game changers? Well, I don't. I, I think I mentioned the, to me the ultimate game changer was Dolby's, you know, Dolby mm-hmm. system. But I would also like to mention uh, a person who back then you considered a game changer. Her name was Maria P. Williams, okay? And she was the first black woman to produce and direct a silent film in 1923. Uh, The title of it was The Flames of Wrath. And I've been searching forever to try and find this movie. How'd you find out about it? I I came across I came across her, I think, on um somebody had posted her picture on Facebook. Hmm. And I've been searching for it. Also, real quick, another piece of trivia for all you UFO buffs out there. Has any I think you guys have heard of Project Blue Book? Yeah. Okay. From 19, I guess, 57 to 1960, the man that ran Project Blue Book was a Tuskegee Airman. Oh, wow. Yeah, his name was Kurt, 
His name was Colonel Robert Friend. Um, if you go to YouTube and search for this science fiction documentary called UFOs that has begun, it was it, it features uh, stars uh, Rod Sterling. At one wow. point, you'll see uh, uh, Robert Friend describing a very weird UFO incident. And all the years I've seen this movie, I did not know that he was a black man. Hmm. I'll tell you what, man, for a dude that works all, all the time, you should know a lot of stuff and watch a lot well, of Well, as, as, as my sister says, is I get a lot of trivia stuff in my head to the point that it leaks out. <laughs> okay, and plus, you know, when I get home between like four and six in the morning, I'm going on the internet doing research for stories. You know what? As I'm sitting here looking at this, that uh, Turner Classic Movies has a mention of it. Flames of Wrath, they have it as 1923. Uh-huh. Wow. Are they showing it? Turner Classic Movies, it says on, um, I looked it up. Are they showing it? I don't know if they're showing it right now, but they have it listed under Turner Classic wow. Movies. Wow. So just try to find yeah. it. Yeah. They have a whole page devoted to James stuff. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, title it shit you don't want to know. <laughs> no, you didn't know that you wanted to know. Yeah, we'll keep some of this stuff and throw out the trash. Yeah. You, know, so. you didn't know you that know you wanted trash. to All right. I didn't get to ask you, um, uh, Sonia, what, what is your um, name uh, game changer? Um, I would go with the the Dolby sound and all those other crazy things that they tried to do, smell a vision and all of that, ah. because it made people, it, it somehow tried to still make it participatory. And I think yeah. the closest we get to it now is the IMAX and the extended screen stuff. Although I heard 4D. <laughs> you know what? But let you say the thing about smell a vision in all honesty. I mean, we do so much stuff. I mean, everything is digital anyway. Can you imagine that just like we go when we wore masks during the periods that we're in the um, theater, if you had a mask that was keyed in. I was just about to say, if there's, a, there's a concept I've heard of in LA and I haven't been able to experience that, but there's a 4D and, and they do interesting things at it. So I wanna see what that's like. The other game changer is for the negative is that a lot of these students coming up in film schools aren't learning about these things. You know, they're taking it all for granted. Everything for them starts at Lucas or whatever, mm -hmm. and they're missing out on so many other things that would inform their art. But a lot of them don't think of it as a form of art. They think of it as uh, commerce. You know? Right. So and I think that's the not. saddest. I think that's part of the sad thing is that it's not being recognized as a form of art mm -hmm. so that you can expand it even more. Mm -hmm. Agreed. And Otto? What is your be all to end all 
of the game changers. Yeah, okay, so yes, for you, Otto. You hear me? Yes. Yeah, I, 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 okay. I just, I'm, I'm, I just said that I, I agree with Sonia's. The film is not looked as art anymore. It used to be. I don't think it's art anymore. Number one, and I think COVID is the real game changer, because I don't think there'd be any more game changers in uh, cinema anymore. Unfortunately. Right. Right. Well, you all, I thank you all very much. It has been a very informative and interesting evening. We have, of course, James back again for the second week. We have William check in with us. That was really great. In addition to our regular neighbors of Cranston, Sonia, Otto, and Nikki, I am just so thrilled that um, everybody didn't show up. It was a really good holiday weekend. We'll say to you all, then we won't be seeing you again before Independence Day. So. Happy Fourth of July, Happy Independence Day here in the United States. Um, I hope that uh, you know, take it easy out there. You know how people are. They start drinking and carousing, etc. Because it's going to be a long weekend. Many people are taking off Monday, so be careful out there. You know, and, um, and and have just a wonderful remainder of this very long weekend, and have a very productive week. We'll see you back again this time next week in the Otherhood. Take care. Good night. Good night. Good night. Good night. With Lucky Landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.